This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. This week on the Mandatory Samson Podcast, we're going to cover the primaries from Tuesday, FBI and TPP quick hits, a Panama Papers update, a settlement in the Tamir Rice murder case, a 2016 update, some emails, Beyonce's Lemonade. I think it's a pretty good one, Joey. It's an episode that is packed. That's right. Super packed. It's a play on words. Stick around. Samson Podcast, coming to you live from Stand Up New York Labs in New York City. My name is Christopher Flannery. I'm joined by Joseph Noe. Hi, everybody. I got some comments last week, Joey. I, I tried to do a little something different at the top. You, uh-huh. you were like, it's just all right. And uh, I got some comments. People liked what I did. Uh, that's awesome. It feels good for me. It's vindicating. So would you want to restart the episode and you can get this off on it even better no now. no that's fine i think we're good i was gonna do it but forget it uh also being produced by evan evan say hi to everybody what up evan's gonna jump in, in a couple of minutes we're gonna have a little conversation uh about something that you're not familiar with joey but we're gonna get into it anyway uh welcome to the show y'all i gotta believe this is gonna be a good one we got a number of topics to discuss the primaries from tuesday oh ah. As I see, Joey doesn't didn't like what happened there. Uh, the FBI and TPP quick hits I have. A Panama Papers update. Um, a settlement in the Tamir Rice murder case, which mm-hmm. there's an infuriating element to that that we're going to get into, and I'm probably going to lose my bananas on that one. Uh, we also have a 2016 update plus a bunch of emails at the top. Uh, and like I mentioned, this mystery topic that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. I also had a story about potential the potential for justice for involving the cia and torture victims uh-huh. which is like a little bit of a longer story and i'm gonna set that aside for next week uh you two know and the listeners don't know i was traveling uh this week actually on a work thing so you know i wasn't on top of stuff as much as i probably could have been this week so i'm just gonna save that story for next week and then we'll get into it so sound all right sounds awesome uh, I want to say this, guys. We got great comments on the SoundCloud this week. I, I was involved in that. Um, and like I said, we got a bunch of emails, which we're going to get to in a minute. But the SoundCloud comments are really good. I got involved there. Joey, I got to notice that you didn't get involved. It slipped my mind. I'm totally sorry. I'm, I'm going to go and look at them tonight, all right? The Samsonites are disrespected when you don't get involved. The nobodies certainly feel cast away uh, you need to get on there and you gotta get involved in the conversation all right talk about putting me on the spot bro well you know it is what it is you gotta earn your keep son okay um what else do we got oh do you kn- so i said you don't know but you i did explain to you a little bit beyonce's lemonade album you don't have any thoughts right joey because you didn't i have not heard it. it i didn't even know it was named lemonade yeah uh i gotta say it's a pretty goddamn good album and i i really loved the visual elements of that thing uh freedom and all night are nice they're my two favorite songs probably off that thing uh evan we were talking about a little bit when we came in 
What are your thoughts on it? Let's maybe we'll have a little conversation about this uh, this lemonade thing because it's uh, culturally relevant. Yeah, um, I you know I have a lot of mixed emotions about it. I think uh, I think overall I agree with you that it's definitely a really great album, important album. But again, I think as we were talking about before we aired that I have a, I'm more of a problem with the fandom, I guess, or the overzealousness. Yeah. And the like unadultering, unwavering opinion of Beyonce, like, you know, she can't do any wrong type stuff. Right. Well, yeah. And I think it's, uh, that's a, that's a definitely an aspect of it. Cause when it first came out, obviously I was on Twitter and I saw a lot of people talking about Beyonce, Lemonade, Lemonade. And I was <laughs> like, well, what's going on? I remember that I remembered like, oh yeah, the HBO thing. So I DVR'd the later, you know, episode of it, watched it. And I listened to the album. Like I was saying, I had to fly around. So I had time to listen to it a bunch. And, Yes, the the fan aspect of it detracts from it to a certain extent because there is a certain percentage of people that no matter what she does, they're going to be like, that was the greatest thing that ever happened and it's super important and all the shit. The problem is it actually is great art and it is an important thing, not only for her career, but I think it's an important thing for female artists, for black artists, for artists in general. I think it's like a really... Um, great piece of work but yeah a lot of people like it's almost I, and we talked about it a little bit before we started it's like infantilizing her to an extent where you can't it's like oh my god mind blown like queen beyonce and blah blah but it's like yeah but talk about the art you're, you're just taking the person and talking about that um and it's almost like like invalidating the fact that like she could have done this type of brilliant art to begin with, it's a, y- y- am I explaining that well, Joe? Do you understand what I'm kind of saying there? I kind of do, yeah. Like, because my point is, if Madonna put out this album, like with the same themes and the same artistic vision and all that stuff, I really doubt that there would be this type of response, particularly in my opinion, from white people who just fawn over it. But it's almost like I'm saying, infantilizing that, oh, what, Beyonce couldn't have done this? Somehow, like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not explaining that well. Evan, do you understand where I'm going with that? No, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, there's definitely people that are figuring it out. That's all I had. Sorry, I totally blamed No, it's right fine. There. I mean, we. I mean, the problem is we talked about it for a little bit before we started recording, <laughs> so we kind of, like, went through the whole conversation. Point being, I think it's a great album. I think what she's doing is important artistically. And the bigger issue with the whole thing is that we have a cultureless culture where we don't really know how to talk about art and we don't appreciate artists in all of their context. Like Kanye West, I think is an artist and he's a great example. You look at him and people are like, yeah, but he's such a dick, but it's like, okay, Beethoven was a dick, but we still listen to his music and you're still going to listen to Kanye. It does, like, that's what it takes for whatever reason, that persona that's out there, mm-hmm. that's what it takes to make the artwork that he's making. So if you don't like the art, fine, talk about that. But what do you need to, you don't need to worship the person to, to appreciate the art and see where, where it's coming from, you know? And I think that's sort of what happens with Beyonce. Like people have to like worship at Beyonce's altar having nothing to do with the artwork but Beyonce is an artist so you're actually doing her a disservice by not commenting and seeing what you think about the actual art that she's putting out there you know yeah um, just because you brought up Kanye I thought it was interesting Uh, and you know I can mostly relate because I was pretty into the Kanye I know me and you both like Life of Pablo yeah absolutely yeah and I just I guess I argue the how much how transcendent this album is i think people try to pretend that it can get anyone to like it and i'm not necessarily sure it's there 
And this is anecdotal, but um, I remember someone was saying, you've you heard Formation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Which is on this lemonade. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember someone was saying, like, this is, like, you know, the most politically charged, like, black song ever. It's really empowering. And it's like, yo, James Brown literally said, say it loud and black and I'm proud. Like, how is... Great. Yeah, how is <laughs> no. Beyonce? <laughs> I'm just... No, it's a fair point. I mean, I think, and I think to an extent, I think Kanye said a lot of like really politically charged things on a lot of his songs and not even album songs. Like he has uh shit. I can't chain heavy. I think with uh most Def, which was like part of his, you know, uh, good Friday yeah, songs yeah. that he's put out. It's like a lot of the stuff that Kanye puts out is, is politically motivated and, you know, probably doesn't get the respect it deserves not to take anything away from Beyonce. I think she is putting out a lot of, of, um, culturally relevant relevant and politically charged songs which is great but that's art you know what i mean so that's again that's the context that i think this stuff should be discussed in and then it's secondary about like the gossipy aspect because the album is about seemingly jay-z cheated on beyonce and this is her reaction to that in all in all aspects of it uh and you're also saying people are like yeah, people are you know getting upset apparently at some of the guys whose entry point into the Beyonce album is oh I know Jay Z I'm curious what dirt she's saying about Jay Z right and like how is that an issue I feel like you know you you like Beyonce because of the mythos and what like her soap opera her life story like so obviously Jay Z being a part of it is interesting to a lot of guys yeah no doubt about it I mean right I'd rather people listen to it and that's the thing if that's all because there's a percentage of people that are huge fans of hers that that's all they're gonna get out of it too you know what I mean and I and when I say huge fans of hers I mean her like as the person not strictly the music or not appreciating what she's doing musically and all that stuff it's an inc- to me it's it's a great like now that I've gotten a chance to really listen to it and like mm-hmm. hear the kind of the themes that she's putting out in there to me, it's power. It's, it's empowering of her because the, the end result of the album, the reason why it's called lemonade is because she's making lemonade out of lemons. Like it's taking hurt and pain uh. and expressing it and saying, I'm strong enough. I'm the one that's got to be strong enough to get over this. And I am. And that's why it's going to work. It's an empowering thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't untie Jay Z from the whole thing. That's, that's what sparked the emotion in her to begin with. And that's what she's dealing with. You know what I mean? Her, her love for him and the reaction to whatever went on between the two of them. It's a, it's a really great album. And that's what like all great albums are about love and hurt and, and dealing with your own emotions and finding strength and all this stuff. So it's really, it's really a great album. And I, appreciate it and you know of course if beyonce wants to come talk about it that'd be great oh, she's so, welcome too um you know evan you got any little wrap-up thoughts on this uh well you just pointed out how it's really empowering i feel like a lot of people have agreed with you and i think objectively like that is it's very important art but I, on the flip side of that which is dangerous is that if i don't listen to it and this is anecdotal i was talking to my roommate who's a woman and yeah. it becomes it like I'm complicit in the silencing of women and, mm. you know, black women in particular that I don't listen to this and don't provide them the space. And I'm kind of like, no, I'm just not into it. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I like different types of stuff. I don't know. No, that's a legitimate point too. I think, right. I mean, I think that, I think that goes back to what you're talking about of the fandom and, and you know, how that kind of can yeah. turn people off to stuff like this. It's the, it's, it's using cultural, things like a Beyonce album and because you know enough to say that you like it or that you appreciate it it gives you a certain element of like intelligence and cachet without having to do any of the work yourself where it's like being able to go well of course oh you don't know who um well whatever you know it's like you you name some like obscure artist and somehow that gives you 
cred. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but maybe you, but you probably don't even listen to that. You know, you don't sit around listening to that stuff all the time, but, but just being able to reference it, the reference itself becomes the thing that people are impressed with, not your knowledge of what the actual art is or how you actually feel about it. Like it would be one thing. It, you listening to it and having reasons why you don't like it and being able to critique it to me is just as valid as listening to it and loving it. Yeah. Just saying you like it is you're, you, it's just like putting a, a thing on your Facebook profile of like, Oh, one of my favorite bands is uh, Lou Reed. It's like, are, is he though? You know what I mean? Like you sitting around and, you, and listening to Lou anyway. So I think that's a fair point that you bring up too. If you don't want to listen to it, don't listen to it. I mean, it is a, it's something she's selling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She's good. It like, take the fact that it is art and it's really well done out of the equation. It is still a product that Beyonce is trying to sell you. So if you don't want to listen to it, you don't want to buy it don't. But that being said, I think it does have some cultural relevance and it's, uh, it's probably her best work. I think so far it's really, really good. It's an, it's an evolution of her as an artist. So over under three Grammys. Oh Jesus. I mean, she's she's probably going to win more than three Grammys, right? I mean, she'll win best, best. It's going to be nominated for best album. I would think, um, well, I don't even know what other Grammy categories there are that she could win for it. All of them. I don't know. Right. I mean, they're, they're, she's Beyonce's going to be set this year for the Grammys. Yeah. I, I feel pretty positive about that. Uh, anyway, my two favorite songs off the album are Freedom, which is uh, Kendrick Lamar's on that, and All Night, which has been stuck in my head all day and all night oh, uh, for, for three days. So anyway, you guys can check it out, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen the Beyonce album. I'm not breaking any news there, but I just want to give my opinion. Thank you, Evan, for getting involved in that. Glad to do it. Joey, you... I didn't even know it was you, released. I know. You I, need to it, listen to it. You should it watch it. It happened on a Sunday. That's cheating. It's supposed to be on a Tuesday. Uh, what? Why? No, Beyonce can do whatever she wants. Okay. She can put albums out whenever. She, they've, she's broken the model. Kanye's broken the model. It's like you release, you put it out whenever you want. She put the surprise album out last time. Nobody had any idea. Um, anyway, you should watch it on HBO, though. It's cool because the visual of it all is very uh, enticing. It's like a really cool, uh, cool look to the whole thing. So... Congratulations, Beyonce. You're one of the true artists that we have uh, who is also commercially, you know, and mainstream viable. All right. You want to get into some emails, Joe, before we get into the rest of the program? Yes, I do. Okay. I want to give a shout out to Tamir and Colin. Your emails will be included next week. They're about the $20 bill. Uh, Tamir had something to say about that, Mm -hmm. which I think is worthwhile. And Colin had, it's about Bernie Sanders supporters and defense spending. And he has some grievances about cutting defense spending. So those are two longer emails. They're good emails. We're going to get to them next week, but we already had a bunch to go through this week. So I figured I, we can just space it out a little bit and we'll devote the right amount of time to those next week. But I want to let you guys know that they will be addressed on the program. First email we got this is from Daniel and I actually got this last week. There's another one that I like put off a week cause it was longer. So this is from Daniel and I told him we'd address this uh, today. He says, man, Samp, Just got done listening to the podcast from this week, which is actually last week's episode. I had some issues with three things that were discussed in the podcast. This is going to be a long email. So if you'd rather just email me some responses back, no, I'll read it on the, I'll read it on the podcast, buddy. No problem. The first one has to do with Bernie's educational plan for the United States. Although I agree that college prices are too high and need to come down. I worry that if college becomes free for everybody, this will further devalue a bachelor degree and force more people to pursue masters and PhDs. Uh, which unless they are also free would still force students into debt. Thoughts on that, Joey, before we continue with this? I kind of agree with that point. Yes, theoretically, but wouldn't that then put those things back at the premium price that they should be at? 
we don't need everybody in America to be doctors. We don't need everybody in America to have a master's degree. We do need a certain level of, of the population to get educated and not go into debt. The debt is really the, the issue. It's not about whether we're devaluing this or devaluing that. We need an educated populace who doesn't have to go into debt. Yeah. Into debt and like be slaves to that for the rest of their lives. I think it also encourages the ability to try other things. If you, if you go into an industry, you get a free education in that thing. And then it turns out that's not what you're good at or you're not suited for. You move on to the next. Yeah. One. You move on to the next thing. You're not stuck in that industry because you owe, you know, $70,000 worth of college debt. Um, it's a look. I think that's a reasonable point. I'm not going to deny that that's not a possibility. The bigger thing is we need to stop looking at education as such a commodity, and which is something that um, has come out of the price. Like it's not necessary. Edu- being educated is is a benefit to everybody in the country. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to let a bunch of people get rich off of putting people into debt. We're better off having an education, uh, a population that is very well educated that can actually do a number of different jobs and have the ability to, to keep learning as time goes on, because that's the only way we're actually going to have a thriving middle class in the, in the country, you know? And it also helps, um, build character too. So that way these people are more than just, you know, they, they can master different occupations and have a chance to do what they really want to do, make a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great point. There's, I think, I think you could see a trend towards specialization, which seems like a good idea at first. But when you have a doctor and he can only do one thing, like you, oh no, 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 you came to the wrong specialist today. Now you got to go see this other specialist and this guy and this guy. And and there, there's no such thing as a person like a Renaissance man that can do a lot of different things. That's a detriment. And you're absolutely right. It gives people a chance to be more well-rounded. I think. Uh, Daniel continues, although people point to Europe as an example of free college degrees, I'd like to focus on Germany because this is a country that the United States should emulate when it comes to college. However, the German educational system is completely different from the United States because it is very hierarchical. Only a certain percentage of students are allowed to go to university. Others are put on a career path for white collar jobs while the last group are on a track for trade school. Generally, this is all decided when they are 10 years old. And he sends a link, which I looked at, but Mm -hmm. Uh, any Im- immediate thoughts on that? I mean, to be deciding at 10, like now nah, you're a ditch digger. I don't know if that's necessarily the right <laughs> way to go. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think at a point Soviet, the Soviet union was doing that too. Like giving the citizens aptitude tests and deciding what path they would take. Right. Um, in an ideal world, that would be fantastic to I be able feel. to, well, to be able to nail that correctly. Yes. But, but here's the other thing. This is all this is all premised on the idea that the only reason we go to college is to be able to graduate and get a job, mm-hmm. which definitely that's an aspect for sure. That has to be a major aspect and it would be important. The other aspect of going to college is to get life experience, to talk to people you don't know anything about, to to have discussions in a in an open forum, which granted, obviously that's College has turned into something different than that, I think, in a lot of places. But ideally, it's a place where you can go and have a free discussion about dangerous ideas and kind of bounce things off each other and really kind of formulate your opinions. So when you go out into the world, you don't just turn into like some sucker that gets, you know, abused in whatever industry you're in. And then you put your head down and then you die 70 years later. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not the best way to go about it. That was really positive. 
Well, no, but you know what I mean? It's like uh, it's the working class hero type of shit. It's like you need to be able to go to a place and meet people that you don't normally meet and talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk about and really kind of bounce ideas off each other and see what you really believe in. Other than you just go, put your head down, get your degree, get a job. Here we go. Like, I don't know, man. There's got to be an element of... uh, of creativity and 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 uh, happiness in in society, right? I would hope. All right. The next point Daniel brings up, he goes, my second issue was with your take on solar power just because the biggest problem facing the United States and all countries when it comes to solar power isn't the placement of solar panels, but batteries. Unfortunately, even though batteries are over 200 years old, there are basically only five types of batteries with the most recent, the lithium-ion battery being invented 25 years ago. Just thought it was important to mention that this is a majority reason why I believe we don't have more solar panels. True, that is an element of it. And we, we did talk about that, though, when it comes to byproducts of yes. this type of energy. Um, not only getting rid of the panels, but the power it takes to power up the panels to absorb the energy. Um, that that stuff is changing, though. I mean, I think it's changing rapidly. The rate of technology doubles every 18 months, and this is no different. If there's more of an investment, again, in solar power, people like Elon Musk are doing a lot of good work in the area you know, I, I think that becomes less of an issue as time goes on. But for sure, I mean, I don't deny that, and I don't think we said anything different. I think part of the problem is the 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 waste and the ability to power the the solar panels. Yeah, I, I think very soon, maybe in the next five to six years, I feel that we're going to come up with a whole new concept of what a battery actually is. Yeah, it, it's just that we kind of hit a wall, right? And there's not much more that we can do with this technology. But as we're doing more space exploration and thinking of better ways to be more efficient, something's going to come around that's going to be better than the current battery we have. No, no doubt about it. I mean, fusion energy obviously is like the big, that's like the holy grail because it's literally unlimited energy. It's creating mini suns that can power everything on the planet with no harmful byproducts. We're a while away from that. The idea is there. We know that in theory it'll work. The problem is we don't have the machinery strong enough or whatever to actually make that happen. But we'll see. You know, we'll see. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if we could have solar panels that power themselves by harnessing the power of the sun? You know, it's that type of thing. All right. Uh, Final point from Daniel. He says, what's up, Evan? Were you saying something? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I coughed. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I thought you I thought you were laughing. Okay. My third issue with the podcast was with Jill Stein interview, although I understand why the American presidential system is frustrating the third party candidates and that it is ridiculous that she was arrested while trying to enter the debate. I'd like to know what she'd want to change for the debates. In twenty twelve, there were twelve parties that ran for president in at least one state, not counting individuals that ran in one uh that doesn't make sense. Not counting individuals that ran Oh, that only ran in one state. Allowing all of these candidates into a debate would reduce the debates to being meaning, meaningless, much like the early Republican debates for this election were almost pointless. I disagree with that. I got to be honest. I disagree with that point. I don't think the early Republican debates were pointless. Some of the moderation of them could have been better. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think having people like Rand Paul involved, certainly Gary Johnson, who comes up later in this email here, should have been involved, you know, but I, I, I think the primaries, like throughout this whole process, I think the primaries are way more important than the actual general election. I think that's really where the ideas can be put into place. Certainly, we could update the debate format and maybe even have both parties debate at the same time, which I think would be like a real debate. But I, I don't think the early debates and having a lot of different voices makes things pointless. I think that actually makes it more 
relevant because there's more disagreement going to take place, you know? And also when, when you have more people involved, those people have, ha- have had different experiences that they bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. So with, without a debate, there's no way to, to show that. No, I completely agree. Uh, Daniel continues, he says, if she's saying we need, she being Jill Stein, saying we need to lower the percentage to receive public funding, which is 5%, I wonder what she'd like to lower it to. Last election, Gary Johnson received the highest percentage of the national vote as a third-party candidate, and he only received 0.99% of the vote. The Green Party, by the way, received 0.36%. I understand the frustration with the political system, but to me, it seems that uh, seems better than the chaos we could have. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't live in the world of, well, this is how it is. Like, I, I'm talking from a position of, how can we do this ideally? And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what anybody else is going to be talking about or that's how it's going to be done. But I think if we start, I think you need to start from what is ideal and then work your way backwards from there and try to figure, you know, figure out the steps backwards from how can we do this correctly mm-hmm. as opposed to working your way towards the the end without really a, a clear goal in sight and then being like, well, here we are. Reverse engineering. Uh, maybe. Is that what it's... That's what I would consider. Okay, then that's what I'm going to consider it too, Joe. Thank you. Uh, Daniel finishes, sorry for what might be your longest email you've had to read. You could say I'm a little passionate about some things. Love the podcast and keep up the great work. Daniel, thank you, Daniel. Yep, thank you. Continue to be passionate. Does not bother me at all. I appreciate the email. I also got an email from Jason. We had three three more emails, but one of them's quick at the end, but I, I figured these were good. Um, like I said, I was traveling this week, so I wasn't positive how much stuff I was going to have for the episode. I think we're good, but I figured we'd get to these emails. Jason says, Hey, I just wanted to write in and thank you for what you've, uh, what you're doing for social and political awareness. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Nice start. I've always considered myself to be fairly knowledgeable about social issues and politics, but the podcast has helped me take my awareness to another level. My wife and I recently had a child. So now I'm even more interested in knowing what kind of world I'm raising him in. And I want him to be aware as well. No, I, I just I, want to say congratulations. Absolutely. Yes. I answered Jason uh, and I said congratulations to the email, but yeah, congratulations to you and your wife. For example, he says, I'm very pro Sanders and very anti Hillary. I think her ties to corporate interests are harmful to the public. Her Israel Middle East plans are not wise and will continue to cost money and lives. And I'm distrustful of her desire to make social policy changes since she copied most of that from Bernie. Uh, uh, agreed. Uh, So when I read this article today, and then he has a link to a New York Times article, I noticed that two of her biggest super PAC donors are mentioned, Haim Sabin and James H. Simmons. From listening to your show, I know you've made me aware that we have to sometimes dig a little deeper, especially to see who is backing the politicians that we support. I love that. Absolutely. And the reason why I'm reading this email primarily is because of this next paragraph here. Yes. Because I like the research that was done. And this, this is... That is the lesson, if I'm trying to teach a lesson to anybody that's listening to the podcast, if I can be so grandiose for a second, like, that is the point. When you see a name, don't just take it at face value. It takes a couple of seconds to Google somebody. You can go look them up and be like, what is the influence of this person that is being brought up here? What is their influence that they're going to have on the candidate? And this is exactly what Jason did, and it's exactly the right way to go about it. And to the the awesome things, between Wikipedia, it's just like having a library. You could find out no. exactly what this person's done in the last 20 years. Absolutely, and you can read articles about them, and you can go do dig the research. Because the way that press releases and articles are written, for the most part, they're written in a way to keep you from doing this very thing. 
they're presented as like, well, this is just a great person that Hillary has on board. And it's like a, a, a fluff piece. But if you do the research, you can go, oh, interesting. These are who these people are. I wonder why she got them. Do you want to know who these people are, Joey? Yeah, let's go to J- it. Jason says, so I Googled both of these gentlemen and discovered that Sabin is a one-issue guy. He's pro-Israel and very anti-Muslim, and he would like for the U.S. to stay involved in our Middle East conflicts as they are a detriment to Muslims and protect Israel, even if it's only in a roundabout way at a minimum. Obviously, his support may have some weight on how Hillary deals with the Iran nuclear settlement. Yes, absolutely. That's the same thing because Democrats would be very quick to jump and say, well, Sheldon Adelson supports all these Republicans and he's really anti, he's really pro-Israel and anti-Palestine and all this stuff. That's going to affect them. You don't think this is going to affect Hillary? Great, great job. Great point, Jason. Uh, Simmons? Well, he's the 27th wealthy. He is the 27th wealthiest American, Jason puts in parentheses, woot, and he and a group of banks managed to fleece the U.S. government of $6 billion by manipulating day-to-day stock transactions to look like long-term investments. And people wonder why they want to see Hillary's speeches to these banks and big money people. Right. Do you think the 27th richest man in the world uh, or in the U.S.? Wait, yeah, wealthiest American. Do you not think that he's going to want something from Hillary? Just or something that, small. Yeah, like, right, exactly. Uh, like uh, influence and, and the ability to affect policy. Of course. It's like, why else would he be involved? You don't think the 27th richest guy in America has better things to do than just, I just support Hillary. That, that's what he's in it for. He's just in it for shits and giggles. I don't think so. He's looking for something. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So as I try to get people to wake up to who really runs the country and who runs the politicians, I have this as further evidence and I have you to thank because the quote old me wouldn't have bothered checking on these people. Love what you do. Thanks for the education. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank I, you. I wouldn't necessarily say we're educating people, but I'm glad that, you know, what we're putting out every week is, you know, maybe just shows you the way to break things down. That's all you can just cut. It's not like we invented it, but it's just a, it's just a way to, to look at things. And that's all. And if you, if you guys can apply it to your lives and, and do the research yourself and everything, that's, that's great. That is how we're going to make change in the country. And it's, it's really cool. Uh, yeah. He also, his, his Twitter's promo 206 said, you shared my tweets about how many Latinos really voted for Trump in the Nevada, Nevada. Nevada primary. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Jason. We appreciate it. Okay. This is one, one more email. And then we got a quick one. Uh, from Christian, who I don't think is a fan of ours, Joey, but we're going to get into that in a second. Uh, this email is from Eustace. He says, hello, man, Sam. My name is Eustace. I am a European listener, and I have some feedback opinion about the things you discuss in the podcast. First of all, some background. I am Lithuanian originally, currently studying in the United Kingdom. Heard about you from the TFM podcast, uh, now J Train. Like your point of view on politics and other stuff. It gives me some interesting topics to talk about to my friends. Great. I'm really happy to hear that. Anyway... To the prisons. That's what he wants to talk about. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, the uh, Anders Breivik thing in Norway. And we had a little bit of a disagreement about that, Jim. Yes, we did. Uh, Yusuf says, as I said, I'm from Lithuania. And Lithuania is known for one of the best fake euros and any kind of crime. I mean, counterfeiting is what he's talking about. Eventually, a lot of people committing crimes get jailed all across Europe. Jails across Europe can be put into three categories. One, Western Europe, European jails. Soviet Union-influenced European jails and Scandinavian jails, which is what we were talking about, obviously, with Norway. West Europe jails are normal. What you would probably get in the US, normal food, some activities, not that hard. You're still considered a person. I got to say, some of the prisons in America, you're, 
it's probably not that normal to be considered a person. You probably get some like pretty shitty treatment in, in jails in America, but and a few beatings. Yeah, and solitary confinement and different kind of torturous uh, events that take place. But I understand what he's saying. Okay. Soviet influence countries would include countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union uh, or so part of Soviet Russia and are less evolved countries. Let's take Poland as a reference point. Any country east from Poland, let's just say you do not want to get caught committing a crime there. That's where you get the Eastern European detention. Okay. Uh, he continues, and last but not least, Scandinavian jails. That's like a five-star hotel compared to Soviet-influenced countries. Scandinavian prisons are overfilled with prisoners from Soviet-influenced countries. Because This is really interesting. Because people just prefer committing crimes in Scandinavian countries just because prisons there, it's like having a holiday. Guards take care of your free time. You can get a free education, earn pretty good salary, and even put money aside for savings. They started sending Eastern European prisoners back to their countries. Which that's okay. So that I well, like. At least now we know where to commit those crimes. No doubt about it. I'm going to go to Sweden. Uh, but yeah, it's like that's an interesting point, and it's sort of a an unintended consequence, I guess, of having a, a prison system that actually does something for the prisoner. People who are criminal will go there because if they get caught, they'll get a, the benefit of that system, which is interesting. But I still don't think it's a reason to not have that type of system because the system obviously works really well. Uh, let's see what else he said. And what you said about different jails. Well, we kind of have this in Europe as well. Prisoners are categorized according to the crime committed money laundering, serial killing will send you to different prisons, underage, uh, women, top security, regular, both category one and two has it. Oh, I see. So kids that are on, there's like a youth prison, women, prison, top security, all that. There's different categories. To conclude, I will say that if you find this imprisonment system too soft, think how does it look to an Eastern European resident? As the mass killer, as for the mass killer, well, I just think that he should have been sent to an Eastern European prison, meaning Andres Breivik should have been sent to the worst prison, not the, I agree. the cushy Scandinavian one. That's fine. That's a different discussion, I think, to have. But nonetheless, I still think that the Norwegian system is impressive, if, if not for anything else other than they have laws and they are choosing to follow those laws. That's mm-hmm. all. Uh, Keep it up. Do what you do. Love the podcast. Thank you, Eustace. I appreciate it. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Let's get to this final email, Joe. This is a quick one. This is from Christian. He says, feathering your nuts will not be done by me. Oh, I know. It's a rough start. I would say I'm pretty conservative and would never vote for Bernie, but I listen to your podcast just to hear the other side. Anyway, my uncle's a Democratic state senator from New Mexico and talking to him about Bernie, the Democrats did not even take him as a threat and says he's a fad for young people and Hillary's the only choice. Just wanted to hear your thoughts about this. I wrote back to Christian. I asked who his uh, uncle was. He didn't respond yet. Uh-huh. I don't know. I said he doesn't have to tell me, obviously. But uh, Joey, thoughts on that? I mean, we've fucking talked about this at length. Yeah, there's a certain percentage of people, of course, in the establishment of the Democratic Party, they're going to think that Bernie is just a fad for young people. Like every president that ever gets elected, that's the dirty secret. Unless you have the youth support. You're not getting elected. You're not getting elected. So that's crucial it doesn't matter if it's a fad i just think maybe the fad will work next time when you have you know a few more you know younger people voting yeah absolutely well that's the thing the fad can very easily turn into a a A culture a movement exactly and it just takes a little bit of time which is what we talked about last episode um Bernie's Hillary's the only choice she is the only choice now because bernie's not gonna win right but that's a primary 
that's you know that's where we decide those things i don't know i mean i don't know how much we need to get into that but i figured even negative comment or seemingly negative i think we can get into i do like that conservative people listen i appreciate that um all right joey let me I think we can move on from yes. that. I mean, I appreciate the emails, guys. It's mandatory Samson at gmail.com. Once again, Colin and Tamir, sit tight, gentlemen. We will get to your emails next week and I'll uh, give them their due diligence over this week and I'll take my notes on them. We'll talk about it. Uh, let me take a sip of my polar seltzer blueberry, Joey. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about anything while I take a few sips? Um, we have that FBI thing, which is going to be very interesting. They're very sneaky, I do have to say unbelievably sneaky i'm still uh i'm still drinking my polish yeah. hold on okay well i i don't want to spare the beans while you're drinking your water like i did last time okay that's probably the right way to go about it okay i, I had my water i'm good all right first thing i want to get into here april 26 primaries which took place on tuesday hillary clinton and Donald Trump were the big winners on Tuesday. Mrs. Clinton will almost assuredly be the Democratic nominee, and Mr. Trump continues to lead the GOP process, but his nomination is far from secured. I have the... The breakdown. The breakdown of the results and everything. Do you have any thoughts at the top before we even get into any of that stuff? I think it's over. He is the presumptive nominee. You think it's over if Trump is the nominee? Trump's the nominee. Well, okay, I'll say this. Nate Silver from 538 who we always talk about and who by the way based on their projections only got michigan wrong so far they've gotten every other primary right on both sides of the aisle so i take his opinion seriously he says the whole thing for trump rests in indiana if he wins indiana he'll probably be able to get to 1237 if he loses indiana he's probably not going to get to 1237 and which is the number of delegates that he needs to win the nomination on a first ballot outright the rnc has already said it's 1237 or bust so it all is going to hinge a lot on Indiana, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Isn't it odd that it comes down to Erie, Indiana? Yeah, well, isn't it odd that we we choose to make Iowa the starting point for all this? It's like, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Um, all right, this is the breakdown. In Connecticut, Donald Trump, well, Connecticut, these are the states that voted. Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. Trump swept. He won all five of those. Connecticut, 57.9% of the vote, 28 delegates. Delaware, 60.8% of the vote, 16 delegates. Maryland, 54.4%, 38 delegates. Pennsylvania, 56.7%, 17 delegates. Rhode Island, 63.8% of the vote, 10 delegates, which is kind of crazy in Rhode Island, which is a state that Bernie won. That's the only state that Bernie Mm -hmm. won on the Democratic side. It's weird that Trump won by such a huge percentage there, but okay. On the Democratic side, Hillary took Connecticut 51.8% of the vote, 28 delegates, 59.8 in Delaware, 12 delegates, 63% of Maryland, 61 delegates, 55.6% of the vote in Pennsylvania, 104 delegates. Bernie Sanders' lone victory on Tuesday was Rhode Island, 55%, 13 delegates. Bernie Sanders released a very telling statement after these primaries, and I'm going to read that statement now. I got a couple of comments on the SoundCloud, people being like, How, you know, what, you're giving up on Bernie. No, I love Bernie, but it is what it is at a certain point mathematically. And this is an ass kicking. Yeah, it is. So he's way behind. He's way behind and it's not going to happen. This is Bernie Sanders' statement after these losses. You tell me why it's, it sounds like game over. The people in every state in this country, the people, I might as well do the Bernie. Yeah, go ahead. The people in every state in this country should have the right to determine who they want as president and what the agenda of the Democratic Party should be. That's why we are in this race until the last vote is cast. 
That is why this campaign is going to the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia with as many delegates as possible to fight for a progressive party platform, form, form, platform, that calls for a $15 an hour minimum wage and an end to our disastrous trade policies, a Medicare for all healthcare system, breaking up Wall Street financial institutions, ending fracking in our country, making public colleges and universities tuition-free, and passing a carbon tax so we can effectively address the planetary crisis of climate change. What he's telling about that is he's just saying people deserve the right to vote. <laughs> he's yeah. not saying we still have a path to victory. He's not saying any of that stuff. He's just saying, look, we came this far. People deserve a chance to vote. Let's keep it going. But essentially... Bernie has to recognize the reality. He's not a crazy person. He understands that this is essentially over. That's a shame. We're not, I'm not going to delve back into the no, petty thing that we did last week, but it is a shame. But the reality of the situation is that it is essentially over for Bernie. He will continue, and I think he might as well continue. But it's farcical, I think, to keep saying that there is a legitimate path. I don't think there is a path. But the other thing, too, is staying in it the way he is also helps her get pushed a little bit more to the left and continue to go to the left. Theoretically, we'll see. We'll see. I, I really don't believe that Bernie is actually pushing Hillary Clinton to the left. He might be pushing the electorate to the left, but we know that they're not going to vote. If, if you're inclined to vote for anybody on the Democratic side, you're going to vote for Hillary. You're not going to not vote for... You're going to vote for Trump? I don't think so. So it's only really people that are going to be lost in the shuffle or people that are maybe independents that have been voting for Bernie or young people that have only gotten into the system because of Bernie. They might drop out. But you got to believe that the mainstream of the Democratic Party, this is why she's winning. We talked about it mm -hmm. last week. They're going to vote for her. So I, I don't know how far left she has to go, but maybe you can get something out of her and, and you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, that's about it. That's what I have for the for the you know, the, the results, I do have a 2016 update at the end. That's pretty good. we got some good stuff in there and God love her, man, a Carly Fiorina clip that makes me physically uncomfortable to listen to. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. Ready. You got any, that's it, Joey. That's, that's it. all your thoughts on that. All right. Got something about the FBI's San Bernardino hack, which we talked about. They got into the iPhone without the help of Apple, which is a big story. And there's a little bit of a follow-up to it. FBI Director James Comey, speaking at the Aspen Security Forum in London last week, was asked how much the FBI paid the third party it used to break into Syed Farouk's iPhone. Now, I have a bit of the article in the email here, and I'm just going to read it as it's written in the article because it's easier than explaining it any other way. When asked Thursday how much the FBI paid for the exploit, Comey replied, a lot. What's a lot? More than I will make in the remainder of this job, which is seven years and four mo months, Comey said. The FBI director, Joey, makes $180,000 a year. That means the FBI at least paid $1.26 million, not counting the four months that he has remaining. Um, That's a and lot then he of continues, money. it was, in my view, worth it. So the FBI paid at least $1.26 million to have a company break into this iPhone. You're going to say something? Yeah. My question is, with that money, does that entitle them to break into other cell phones as well? Or is this a, just a once-off? Well, kind of where I'm going with this. This is, this is the thought that I wrote as I was putting the notes together. Wouldn't a $1.3 million payout create incentive for hackers to keep hacking and potentially get paid as mercenaries, maybe for terror groups? You're right. It, it, 
if they have, if they demonstrate the ability that they can break into an iPhone, wouldn't other people then who are inclined to be hackers or want to make money doing this type of thing, continue to do that and then try to exploit that market option yeah, for their like own a good issue. Yeah. It seems like the FBI is sort of creating a black market for independent hackers or hacktivists or whatever to, to get involved and create bidding wars for their services. You think ISIS doesn't notice that this shit is possible? Yeah. And to make it that public too is unbelievable. It, it, right. It's almost like the FBI is trying to create a situation that only the FBI will be able to deal with. Thus, keeping them in firm control over the security apparatus of this country, right? And also what they could do is inadvertently have a new generation of hackers that they can catch and try to turn. Well, what do you mean? Well, what, what I mean is now that we know that these, the, that the, the iPhone can be hacked, more people are going to be trying to hack the iPhone. They probably can keep tabs on these people yes. and try to turn them... For, for the usage. No doubt. It's like a Frank Abagnale Jr. type of situation in Catch Me If You Can, if you understand what I'm saying there. He was like a great forger and like this kind of like criminal guy. But then, yeah, once they arrested him and he paid his, you know, did his time, then he just worked for them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yes, I, I actually understand completely what you're saying. That's a great point. Um, all right, that's just something I want to put out there. But keep in mind that the FBI, no doubt about it, is creating a black market for hacking right now. That is what they're doing. By admitting that they're paying millions of dollars to have companies, third parties do things for them, you're just incentivizing doing illegal hacking and, and, and data mining and all that stuff. I don't even know why they bother with that. Because they don't, it doesn't affect them. I know, <laughs> they're in control of all the data already. You know what I mean? They, they, pretty, they could do it, but it's easier to pay this group to go do it. All right. I got a TPP update. This is a quick one. Um, we haven't talked about the TPP in a while, but I feel like there's something, you know, obviously I'm keeping my eye on it. It's something we have to pay attention to with a congressional vote potentially weeks away. The internet association, which is a, a group, uh, that has a number of members who we're going to get into in a second came out in favor of the TPP. Now I have a link here of its members. Would you like to hear some of the members of the internet association that came out in favor of the TPP this week. This is going to upset me, isn't it? It is. It should. It should bother you. Um, I also want to say Reddit is involved in this, but Reddit came out right after this announcement. It was like, we do not support the TPP. And you can go read Reddit's statement if you like, but Reddit, while they're a member of this group, they're the only one that came out and was like, no, we're not into it. These are the members of the Internet Association. Airbnb, Amazon, mm -hmm. Coinbase, DoorDash, Dropbox, eBay, Etsy, Expedia, Facebook, FanDuel, Google, Groupon, Handy, IAC, Intuit, LinkedIn, Lyft, Monster, Netflix, Pandora, PayPal, Pinterest, Practice Fusion, Rockspace Hosting, Rackspace Hosting, Reddit is a member, but I just said they're not in, Salesforce, Snapchat, Spotify, SurveyMonkey, 10... X, I guess. I don't know. TransferWise, TripAdvisor, Turo, Twitter, Uber, Yahoo, Yelp, Zenefits, and Zynga. These are the so companies. every possible website out there. Yeah, everything you pretty much are using, they're like, yeah, cool. We're cool with the TPP, um, which, again, without getting into the TPP so deeply here, but obviously if it passes next week or whatever, we're going to have to have a story about it. Um, the TPP is, is, a, is a huge trade-packed, with the United States and a lot of Asian countries that is going to greatly affect the U.S. Uh, workers. And it's also going to affect digital 
copyrights and, and a lot of different things that affect all aspects of you know, what we do on the internet. I find it interesting that they chose to sneak in all the digital stuff under this one instead of having it be its own separate thing and where it could be voted down. Yeah, well, none of it can be voted down. And again, this is it's about corporatizing and making, not corporatizing, commoditizing everything, making everything, there's a price for everything. So the more that, excuse me, they can lock down the internet, the, the easier it is to sell it off and, and, and make it a commodity. And, you know, I think, I think the main thing with the internet is to make it a utility and a public good and something that is, uh, again, like we talk about, a democratizing force in the world as opposed to just something to be bought and sold by these massive corporations without the will of the people being done. Um, all right, that's the TPP, Joey. We got a couple more things. You know what? Let's get into the Panama Papers update because it's a little bit quicker. And then we'll uh, we'll close the show with a Tamir Rice update, which is infuriating, guys. Please stick around for that. Um, and then a, a 2016 update. Sound good? Yep. All right. So this is my Panama Papers update. We haven't talked about this probably in like a week or two. The U.S. Department of Justice has launched a criminal investigation into tax avoidance schemes exposed by the Panama Papers. Preet Bharara, the U.S. attorney for Manhattan, said he, quote, opened a criminal investigation regarding matters, matters to which the Panama Papers are relevant. All right, so there is a criminal investigation opened up, which could be interesting, could be damaging for a lot of people in the United States, depending on their involvement in this whole thing. But this is the real thrust of why I wanted to bring this up. The Clintons, Mm -hmm. maybe you've heard of them, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yes. They have multiple connections to people using Mossack Fonseca to establish offshore utilities. Would you like to hear a little bit about those people? Yeah, I would love to hear about these people. And like Jason pointed out, sometimes you got to dig a little deeper. I have like little bullet points here. Look up some of the names. Do a little bit of research if you want to email me or leave a comment or whatever. That's great. These are some of the names. Gabrielle Filkoff, F-I-A-L-K-O-F-F. She was the finance director for Hillary's first Senate run. She's Mm. in the Panama Papers, obviously has some offshore dealings. Frank uh, Justra, G-I-U-S-T-R-A. He's a mining magnet, and he's Bill's friend, and he's traveled around the world with Bill Clinton during you know, Clinton Global Initiative things. Oh. So a close friend, a travel companion, I wrote down. The, uh, Jesus, my handwriting's awful today. The Chagoray family, C-H-A-G-O-U-R-Y family, they've pledged $1 billion to the Clinton Global Initiative over the years. Um, and there's a lot of other stuff involved with them, so if you guys want to look them up, the father, the son, there's a bunch of stuff going on there. But I'm just putting these names out. Ing Lap Sang, ng L-A-P-S-E-N-G. He was a Democratic fundraiser when Bill Clinton was president, and it was a gigantic fundraising scandal. There was a lot of like illegal things that he was doing. You guys can go dig a little deeper into that. Yeah, I'm just I'm just like dipping the toe in. If you guys want to go do some extra research, feel free to do that. But these are people that the Clintons are very close with that are tied up in this offshore stuff. All right. So when I hear I'm not even about done yet, I, but good. But when I hear about this, I think to myself. So now you're going to have this person, Hillary, running to be president of the United States. Meanwhile, she's going to be the president. There's some shady shit going on for the last 20 years. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's been shady shit forever with the Clintons, but that's why they are as powerful and successful as they are. Mm. It's very rare, I think. And, and, and this is, I think, a misnomer in this country. I think it's very rare for to, to get into the upper echelons of government and business 
to not have done some grimy shit along the way. I think it's very, very unlikely that you can get like a Warren Buffett type guy. He's very rare. I think it's very rare to get to that level without having to do some shit and have some weird business ties and to do some some crazy things to get to a position of power like that in this country. That's the dirty secret. It's not just hard work. Hard work and perseverance, yeah, maybe, but there's a lot of other factors involved. And you're going to have to rub up against people who didn't get there by hard work and perseverance. They got there because their trust fund kicked in or they laundered money or they did some illegal shit or blah, blah, blah. It's you know a little grease. Put into the machine, yeah, just a little. No doubt about it. Yes, there's a little bit of grease in the machine. I love that, Joe. That might be a wonderful title for this episode. Two more people connected, uh, as per my research, and I think it was a McClatchy article that I read about this, but Mark Rich, who is dead now, but he invented oil trading, okay? The commodities market. Oh, He my invented God. it, right. Uh, he was pardoned by Bill Clinton last minute when Bill was leaving office for taxes, tax evasion, wire fraud, uh, racketeering, all this stuff, and then he died. But that was a very controversial pardon, and a lot of questions were raised about what did Mark Rich have to pay off Bill Clinton to get this done? Uh, he's he's involved in this in the Panama Papers. Big surprise. And the last person I have written down here is Jean Raymond. Bull, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. B O U L L E, and I didn't even write anything about what he did, but go look it up. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, in a perfect world, what wouldn't it be interesting to get some of these people to sit down with you and you could ask them a question, and for whatever reason, I have to tell you the exact truth. Yes, uh, that is the that is no the pr- spin. That's the problem, though, and that's that's a big element, right? The no spin thing, and you have to tell the truth. Yeah, you have to tell the truth, but you can't spin it. You don't have to. That's the problem. Oh. Even even when we go, you're under oath. You go. I'm going to plead the fifth. <laughs> oh, you I don't bastard. have to say anything. I don't. Why would remember. you do that? Right. That's that's the issue, and that's that's also an element I think of of uber successful people like this and people that can play in the billions of dollars range like they are masters of manipulating language and you know it's like when bill clinton was being deposed about the blowjob shit and he was like it depends what the definition of is is i remember that what do you mean what the (laughs) definition of is is like what are you talking about so it's like that type of shit or cheney uh not cheney uh, rumsfeld with the there's knowns and unknown knowns and what you do and it's like all right forget it like you're just a snake you're you're there's no way to pin you down same thing with a lot of these people it's gonna be very difficult to get them to tell you the truth and that's why you know, that's why they're, that's why their success is to begin with, because they're never really saying what is the actuality. You know, they're, yeah. they're creating their kind of own reality about things and you can never really pin them down. So anyway, interesting. Definitely. We talked about this right when the Panama Papers first yeah. came out and now we're getting little drips and drabs of it. I said, man, the Clinton, global, yeah, the Clinton global initiative, global initiative is going to be involved in this somehow if not the Clintons themselves or, or certainly close to, you know, closely indirectly, we'll see how it goes. And God knows Trump, Trump's when's his name going to come up? When's something that has to do with Trump going to come up? I do have something in the 2016 update involving both Hillary and Donald Trump. That's a fascinating little bow that we'll put on this thing, but that's oh, my nice. little teaser for that. So stick around for that. Ladies and gentlemen, um, it's going to be a good 2016 update. Hey guys, it's Jeremy Roenick here. Are you a hockey fan? Do you like interviews with some of the biggest names in sports? Then we are the podcast for you. It's the Roenick Life Podcast with J.R. and Jaffe. Join me and Billy Jaffe each week as we give you our takes and opinions on the NHL and just about everything else in between. 
We'll talk hockey a lot, but we even may dip into other sports, politics, and entertainment. Nothing is off limits. It's Ronick Life Podcast with JR and Jaffe. New episodes publish every Tuesday morning. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and we are now on Spotify. Don't miss it. Joseph Noe, would you like to get into this Tamir Rice update that we have? Yes. Cleveland, Ohio is in agreement with Tamir Rice's family to pay out a $6 million settlement after the 2014 death of the 12-year-old. Um, thoughts on... Again, Money when the, can't bring somebody back. No, absolutely. And I, and I have a quote here, actually, from the family. This is their family statement. Very, very well said, Joey. Although historic and financial terms, no amount of money can adequately compensate for the loss of a life. Nothing will bring Tamir back. His unnecessary and premature death leaves a gaping hole for those who knew and loved him that can never be filled, which, of course, we talk about this all the time. It's good that the family is getting some kind of restitution for this this damage that was caused to them but right but they they would give that money back in a heartbeat and then some to have the, their kid back a 12 year old that is senselessly murdered for having a, a you know a play gun my only issue with this as in uh, a lot of them that happens when the city has to do a payout yeah is the fact that the police department is going to be hurting for that money that well, yeah, money the taxpayers that... are paying for the fuck up of the police. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, no, but I mean, but, but right. But some, you know, that money could provide better training, better weaponry. There's a whole host of things that that money could go to instead of the family for an event that should have never happened. Right. But you're not saying the family shouldn't get paid though, too. They, they need to get their payment for it. I mean, it is what it is. The city decided to settle with them. Mm-hmm. Cleveland admitted no wrongdoing in the settlement. Incidentally, yeah, okay, so that's the other aspect of it. If they have to go to a, you know, play it out and see actually what a judge decides or what a jury decides, then you know they might be found guilty. God forbid. We're not guilty, but here's six million dollars. Oh, okay, interesting. This is what really pisses me off about the story, and this is gonna, I hope, set drive you crazy as well. The Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association released a statement after the settlement was announced. April 25th, they said, media, we have maintained from the onset, this has been an absolute tragedy for the Rice family, as well as our involved officers and their families. Our hearts continue to be with them. Meanwhile, now again, just to recap, the Tamir Rice thing, he's a 12-year-old who's playing in a park with a, not a real gun, a toy gun. The cops roll up after being called, saying that a guy is running around the park waving a gun. Meanwhile, he's a 12-year-old boy. The cops roll up and kill him within seconds. I mean, seconds. Go watch the video if you haven't listened to the episodes or watched them or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's quick, and the kid is dead very fast. I mean, seconds, and they there's no way they perceived him as a threat. It's ridiculous. This is what the police union put out. We can only hope the Rice family and their attorneys will use a portion of this settlement to help educate the youth of Cleveland in the dangers associated with the mishandling of both real and facsimile firearms. Something positive must come from this tragic loss. That would be educating youth of the dangers of possessing a real or replica firearm. We look forward to the possibility of working with the Rice family to achieve this common goal. Stephen Loomis, the president of the Cleveland Police Patrolman's Association. Isn't that victim shaming? It, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but the audacity to say the $6 million that we paid out to you because we fucked up and murdered your 12-year-old son who was 100% innocent, you need to spend some of that money to teach kids to not 
walk around with play guns so we won't kill them is absurd. It's infuriating. That That is like... That is so, like, man, that makes my skin crawl when I read that. That makes me so angry. So angry. First of all, fuck you. It's my payment. I'll do what I want with it. I'll put up billboards all around Cleveland saying that the cops are disgusting animals that murder 12-year-olds. I can do whatever I want with the money. Yeah, that is maybe a good cause, but the, it should be the other shoes on the other foot that the cops should be trained to recognize what a fucking fake gun is and what a threat is and what a 12 year old is. It's not a, they, they perceived him to be in his twenties running around the park. Yeah. They were off. Yeah. They were off by about, you know, 12 years. Yeah. Fuck that. What, what do you think about that, Joey? Uh, it's just, it's just like we mentioned before the spin, the, right. the right. union did a great job on spinning the issue. Yes. And, and to me, blaming the victim for, for actually even being there and having the gun. No doubt about it. Right. Oh, so you can't be a kid in a park. No. Oh, okay. It's not the cop's fault for, for first of all, pulling up inches from the kid instead of pulling up at a safe distance, which I guarantee I've said it once. I'll say it again. It's against protocol. Pull away so that if he does shoot at you, he's not point blank going to shoot you in the head the way you were to him. That, right yeah. it's like maybe it wouldn't be such a threat if you weren't inches from the kid get the fuck out of here and how and how embarrassing like it's so tone deaf and one-sided and just proves the point about the systemic bullshit that takes place in these police departments whose side are they on they're just defending their own that's embarrassing that should be embarrassing for the police of cleveland that is absurd so you're waiting for them to take back the statement no, please take back. No, absolutely not. They're not going to take back the statement. But yeah, put, put it up to Tamir Rice's mom that, you know, it, now that her son is dead, she can focus on the real issue of children playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the problem that we should be focusing on. Get get the fuck out of here. That that really, that pisses me off. I got you. Yes, because it's ridiculous. You're right. It's spin. It's exactly right. They're spinning it in their direction of like, it's not our fault that we killed the kid. It's the kid's fault for playing, and he tricked us into thinking that he had the gun. It's your job, cop. It's your job. You're trained to be able to spot these things and handle these situations without escalating them to the level of death, which is what you always do. Yeah, but there won't be as much money to train these officers now. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, well, okay. Well, maybe if they were trained correctly in the first place or you didn't defend shitty cops, then you wouldn't be paying out $6 million that could have gone to actually training them in an appropriate way and doing the proper community outreach and and handling things correctly. Was this also one of the ones where the cop already had issues from another police department too? I got to be honest. I don't remember offhand. Okay. Um, I don't remember. I don't think so, but I can't be sure. So I could be wrong about that, but. Yeah, because that seems to be another issue with a lot of these settlements that when there's warning signs from these individuals, they should be pursued and not just push the buck along. Absolutely. And that's that's really what the statement is uh, emblematic of as well. It's 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 saying like, yes, we're sorry we killed that kid, but it's not our you. It's not our fault. Reasonable people understand that this could happen to anybody. Yeah, we're not taking any responsibility. Yeah, okay, that's the problem. And that's sort of the problem with the settlement to begin with. It's like, let it play out. These, there needs to be repercussions. Wow, if we're not holding 
police to a higher standard. Why, why do we have to give them any respect then to begin with? And I'm not saying that they're, and again, there's plenty of cops that are doing the right thing that do deserve respect that are going into the hard areas and, and, and making a difference, making a difference and doing the right thing. No doubt about it. And those are the people that we need to respect. And we respect them even more by pointing out the fuck ups on the force and not making them defend those people and say that they're all in it because they're not, they're the problem. The, the community and the cops, the good cops, they should be the ones that are working in tandem, not the good cops and the shitty cops. That's really a, a fucked up dichotomy. And it puts everybody citizens and police in a bad predicament. Yeah. Bad situation. So, Again, you know, yeah, I get fired up about it, but I don't mean it to be like there are no good. That's nonsense. But there are certainly bad ones, and it's nonsense to pretend that there aren't. And they're not infallible. They do make mistakes, and if they're being held to a higher standard, then the the punishment needs to fit what I deem a crime here, which is the murder of an innocent twelve year old. That's that's what it is, you know. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Twenty sixteen update, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. Bernie Sanders. Sweet Bernie will lay off hundreds of campaign staffers and direct his focus on California June 7th, which is what you've kind of been talking about. Joe, you're like, put all your eggs in California and see what happens. That is what he's doing. Um, wouldn't it be hilarious if this whole time I'm just saying this and Bernie wins California by 90 points and just wins <laughs> the whole thing? I mean, I'd love it, but it, he's even if he took all of California, I'm pretty sure that's not enough delegates. Honestly. Let me look that up. Actually. Good. Joe, talk for a second about that. Bernie's laying off a lot of staffers thoughts on this. He has to, uh, we're not downsizing, we're right-sizing it so they have enough resources to be allocated. I, lo- I love your spin. I love that you're good at spin. Like, you really actually are good at it. California has 475 delegates. Yeah, so if Bernie won 100% of California, he'd actually be in the lead. So it's up to you, California. <laughs> we'll see what you can do. Uh, this uh, is, yeah, I know. It's like not possible, but it's his only move. So strategically, he's doing the right thing. He's laying off staff in 40 states or whatever, and he's moving on to the, the main one. Do you know what we should just do? We, we should get a camera, document this, call it Bunny from Cali. We're on camera right I, now. I know, but... YouTube.com slash Mandatory Sam. We don't have love, Bunny love, with us. I love though. that you're acting like we're not recording this in nine <laughs> different places while we, as we sit here. But, but listen, so we go there and we follow Bunny around and we get the entire staff in yeah. California, we get the entire world to pay attention to one state. Nothing else matters. How are we going to do There's no that? other primaries. We're going to find a way Okay. to make sure he can get 90% of the vote. Maybe we should get a podcast. And do it from California? No, like, a, oh, uh, we already have a podcast. Yeah. I, I don't think it's helping, Joey. <laughs> Damn it. We're trying. We're trying our best, but I don't think we have a limited, uh, limited reach. This is Bernie Sanders' statement. I'm not going to read it as Bernie. I can't do it. I didn't feel like it. Did I, do you think I did a good job with you the You did first a great one? job, All right, and, I, All right. and I demand... <laughs> You do it as Bunny. We want to win as many delegates as we can. So we do not need workers now in states around the country. We don't need people right now in Connecticut. That election is over. We don't need them in Maryland. So what we are going to do is allocate our resources to the 14 contents that remain. And that means that we are going to be cutting back on staff. It will be hundreds of staff members. We have had a very large staff, which was designed to deal with the 50 states in this country. 40 of the states are now behind us. So we have a great staff we have had a great staff, great people. If I were him, yeah, I would lay off nobody, put them all in California, and let's 
We're going to hit every house. No, but that's We're going to hit every house in California. No, but that's what he's saying. He's laying, he's saying we don't need people in Connecticut because so we're firing the Connecticut staff, but then some of those people are going to be reallocated to go work in California. No, no, no. I want, I want the entire goddamn thing in All California. Right. I know. I, look, you have Jay, to hit every house. Li- listen, here's what twice. I'm going to say. Twice. Call Bernie. By June 7th. Twice. Every house, twice. Here's what I want you to do. Get on the horn. Uh-huh. Talk to Bernie's people. Yes. I mean, you go out to California. You go help. You got a lot of good ideas. I like where your head's at. Okay. Ted Cruz, Joey. Yes. Ted Cruz aping Ronald Reagan's poor choice in 1976 when he named then Pennsylvania Senator Richard Schweiker his VP pre-convention. Ted Cruz has named former HP head and abhorrent multiple-time failed political candidate Carly Fiorina his running mate on Wednesday. Just for the record, I wouldn't call two times uh, multiple. Come on, man. Yeah, seriously. uh, (laughs) All right, fine. (laughs) Okay. I I have a Ted Cruz quote about it. Would you like to hear that? Or would you like to start completely out of context with the despicably uncomfortable Carly Fiorina clip? I'm going to the out of context route. Let's do it. This is Carly Fiorina at the Ted Cruz announcement that she is his running mate. I'm just going to play this and then we'll talk about it after my God. Listen, if you're driving right now, pull over. If you're doing anything with hot coffee, just sit down because this is going to be, you're going to want to hug yourself because this is so uncomfortable. This is Carly Fiorina. I know two girls that I just adore. I'm so happy. I can see them more. Cause we travel on the bus all day, we get to play, we get to play. I won't bore you with any more of the song. But they have four verses, Caroline and Catherine. Love you girls. Oh. Wait, she was singing to a oh kid? Oh my God, she was singing to Ted Cruz's children. Oh, that is so creepy. And apparently the Cruz kids have these weird shining, uh, the shining songs that they sing, like little twins walking down the hallway. Oh my God. How uncomfortable, Evan? Did that make you uncomfortable? Uh, all of it. Yeah, the I whole- think you got to play it again. Do you think so? Yeah, you got to play all it right. again. All right, I think that's fair. I closed it, but here we go. I know two girls that I just adore. <laughs> I'm- this is at an announcement of your vice president of this country. If I win, you're second in command. Carly, and so, this is what she chose to do. Is this wait. not? Is this, this not speak volumes about judgment? Wait, wait, wait. At the very least, wait, wait. So we have somebody who's behind, who has no possible way of getting the nomination. Yeah, who's throwing a hail mary. Yeah, who's replicating something Reagan did in 1976 that failed. That failed. Yeah, and you're gonna ha- and she's gonna decide to start singing. Yes, I'm assuming of her own volition. I can't imagine Cruz was like. Excellent choice, Carly. One thing I would note is that you're a brilliant singer. Like, oh my God. Also, can we recognize the fact that he's not even there at the moment? No, he's out of frame. No, he walked away. Yeah, he, he, yeah. I'm so happy I can see them more. Oh my God. And her face is the worst in this too, because it's like, she knows how terrible this is, but she started doing it. So she has to keep going. 
Please, guys, look at this video. Wait, wait, it's so wait, bad. Wait, wait. Is she saying she has attachment to his daughters now? Well, you know, it's it's meant to be cutesy of like, I love these kids. They're really cute. Like, we spend time on the bus. They sing these little songs. And obviously, I am I get involved with them. And, you Is know, that going to get, get her votes? Zero votes. Zero votes. Right? Zero. Yes. Okay. Because we travel on the bus all day. We get to play. We get to play. I won't bore you with any more of the song. No, it's not boring that I'm worried about. I'm, not, I'm completely entertained by it. It's uh, it's just making me, it, my nervous system is reacting very negatively to this. You know what? I I, I just had a thought in my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> As opposed to where else do you have those no, thoughts? No, no, no. <laughs> think about like. I could think of a few places. Like, I feel bad that like politicians kind of like pimp out their families. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because y- you have two daughters that you're trying to raise, mm-hmm. and now they're going to be center of attention because some crazy woman who's going to be the VP of the country decides to start singing. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to be center of attention because of it, but right. But now they've been pulled into this thing a little bit. It's a, it's a ploy, essentially, right? It's a, it's a public persona ploy. Like Carly Fiorina, she's sweet. She likes the kids. You know, she's maternal, I guess, from that aspect, even though she's a bit of a pit bull. That's sort of her <laughs> other uh, thing that she's trying to put out there. Yeah, it's just very uncomfortable, the the whole thing. Whew. Here's what Ted Cruz had to say about the announcement. After a great deal of time and thought, mm-hmm. after a great deal of consideration and prayer, I have come to the conclusion that if I am nominated... I will run on a ticket with my vice presidential nominee, Carly Fiorina. That's what he had to say about it. I think it's a terrible choice. It just doesn't even make sense. Like, Fiorina, why? Uh, woman card. It, I said it. Yeah, but it, I know you, you did say it and you're going to catch shit. No, <laughs> but uh, of course, right. I mean, that's a factor. I th- I think it's with the mindset of going to a general election, she could be, she could attack Hillary, right? That's yeah. the point. As opposed to having somebody who, you know, it's going to be very, again, it's going to be hard for Trump in a, if he made it to a general to be very forceful against Hillary because it looks like he's yelling at a woman. No matter no matter how far along we are as a, as a society and a culture, that's still going to look bad because that was what they said with Biden when he was debating Palin. It was he had to write a very fine line mm-hmm. because, and he did, he did a good job with that. But you got to be very careful. Who would you have picked if you had Ted Cruz? Well, I wouldn't have picked. Now you're going down in flames, right? I would have picked Mitt Romney. No, well, for, no, because you Joey, can't do again, it. I it's, know. it's politically viable. Could Romney's not going to get on a sink, a potentially sinking ship? Although I will say, Cruz does have the potential on a second ballot to win. A Dan, how he, he does? No, on a second ballot because he's done a good job of rounding up delegates. He has very good on the ground game, and he's done a good job of going after people who are not bound on a second ballot, a first ballot. They have to vote for Trump. But if Trump doesn't have twelve hundred and thirty-seven delegates, they're going to have to go to a second ballot. And at that point, he's got a lot of people committed to voting for him on a second ballot. Cruz could actually probably win on a second or third ballot. Believe me, Cruz has done a really nice job rounding up people to support him after the first ballot. If Trump can't get it, the second ballot could easily go to Trump. That being said, Romney's not going to commit to somebody that's a gamble. You know what I mean? There's no reason for him to tarnish his own name politically. I don't know who you would have picked. Rand Paul? I don't know. Who do you pick? It's it's a crazy move. Yeah. So I don't know. It is what it is, but 
fucking Fiorina. I, I don't know. Where does that help him? Maybe with women, but that's that's a that's an insane thought. Like women don't like Carly Fiorina more than Hillary. That's insane. Yeah. So I don't know. But anyway, so that's what was going on with Ted Cruz. Uh, I read Ted Cruz's quote. Meanwhile, we don't bring him up a lot. Trump's team has been pushing the notion that everything we've seen so far has been, quote, an image that he can tone down now as they're closing in on a general election. Thoughts on that? It seems like it did help him in the East Coast states, which is pathetic. I hate this country uh, more than I can even explain. I love it and hate it at the same time. Thoughts on Trump as this is an image that Trump's projecting. I think it's genius. It's a genius, what, PR move to say that, Yeah, branding. It's 100% branding. Yeah. You know, you, you have this individual who's been putting on an image so he could make it through the uh, debates, yep. through the primary, yeah. so he can be the sole candidate for president of the United States. And when he is that sole candidate, he's going to change exactly the way he needs to to get as many votes as possible to prevent Hillary Clinton from being president of the United States. Yeah, uh, it's uh, right. It's like, listen, we're appeasing, it's the long game. We're appeasing the shit kickers now, the the dummies, the Bible Belt people. Like, and by the way, I'm positive we have a lot of people that listen in, in these areas. I'm not talking about you. You know who I'm talking about, though. Like, if you if you listen to this podcast and you agree with a lot of what we're saying, when I say Bible Belt people and shit kickers, I'm not talking about you. You, but I guarantee there's people that are that you go to school with or that you talk to or that you work with, and you're like, oh yeah, it's Dave. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like okay. So, but anyway, but right, but that's what Trump's saying. Like, no, it, this is just a performance for the dummies. Like, when I get in there, I'll be presidential as all fuck. You know, that's what he's trying to say. Interesting strategy. Maybe it worked in the East Coast. Who knows? Indiana, that's going to be a big one. We'll keep our eye on that. Two more things real quick. 1209 North Orange Street in Delaware. Got any reason why I'm bringing that up, Joey? Uh, Delaware. Something about March Madness that I missed. Okay. Uh, Evan, you got any thoughts about 1209 North Orange Street in Delaware? No, but what's that? Okay, we'll get into it. Hillary and the Donald both have companies registered there. No, they don't. Why do you think that would be? Wait, what? <laughs> this is a quote from an article. Officially, 1209 North Orange is home to Apple, American Airlines, Coca-Cola, Walmart, and dozens of other companies in the Fortune 500 list of America's biggest companies. Being registered in Delaware lets companies take advantage of strict corporate secrecy rules, business-friendly courts, and the, quote, Delaware loophole, which can allow companies to legally shift earnings from other states to Delaware where they are not taxed uh, on non-physical incomes generated outside of the state. The loophole is said to have cost other states more than $9 billion in lost taxes over the past decade and led to Delaware to be described as, quote, one of the world's biggest havens for tax avoidance and evasion. So you tell me it's a, it is a piece of property that you buy a room in, and because you own that room, you get to be tax exempt. Yes, you register your company there. Now this is why a lot of Americans are probably not coming up in the Panama Papers. Shouldn't the uh, the shouldn't they have to register in the state they're physically in? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, we don't have to, yes, Joey, we don't have to pretend to be naive about it. We know, we've talked about this a number of times, of course, but it's interesting that the two front runners, and certainly one of them is going to be president, uh, Hillary, I think, Uh 
They both had, they're both doing it. They're both doing it with all the other great American companies that love this country so much, but do not want to give back in the way of uh, the taxes that they actually owe. Interesting, right? They both, Hillary and Donald, they were asked like, what, what do you got going on there? And they're like, eh, we're not going to say. Hillary says that this was just a way to manage her speaking fees. Interesting. Uh. And her book income, you know, that she's not really trying to do anything with offshore. Yeah. Okay. Trump. Well, you got to imagine that he is doing something <laughs> offshore there, but it is what it is. You know, quote offshore. <sighs> we also have one more. All right. So interesting, right? You got any f- other thoughts about that? But it, it, clearly 1209 North Orange Street in Delaware, not just a little uh, inconspicuous office uh, building. Doesn't surprise me. Right. But before you continue, mm-hmm. how do you well, feel? Well, you're going to continue because I you're, you have the final uh, story here, right? Oh, uh, yes. But before that, uh, how do you feel about the pact between Ted Cruz and Kasich? Uh, yeah, good question. I mean, that, well, do you have anything on that? Do you have any like little facts about it? And then I'll give my opinion. No, my no, no facts. I'm just asking <laughs> how you see it. We should do a segment called Joey Noe's Fact Free Zone, where you just mention something, and I'm like, thoughts and uh, any any information. Like, nip. Nope. Um, probably too late. It's a good idea for, for those who don't know. I, I don't remember what states is really what I was asking, but Kasich and Cruz agreed to not go after each other in certain states. Yeah, that's. I believe that's Indiana where Kasich right. is not going to spend any time or any money. Right, and I think he's going to encourage his people to vote for Cruz to deny Trump the amount of delegates that he'd need to get to the 1237. Yeah, it's smart. They should have started doing that way earlier. You know, they didn't take Trump as a legitimate threat, which granted a lot of people didn't, although they're not spending millions of dollars on research and trying to figure out how to, you know, defeat their opponents. But but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good move. It might be a little late, but it's going to help Cruz more than it's going to help Kasich, obviously. Although I'm sure Kasich is, again, betting on a second ballot, third ballot, fourth ballot, and seeing if he could try to get something done at, done at the uh, convention. So yeah, good good move. Because again, if Trump doesn't get to 1237, those two have a better chance of winning than Trump does. So mm. that's really uh, smart. I think it's a good idea. Joey, I sent you this article, um, and I'd like you to talk about You did do the research on it, correct? Yes. This is about Hillary Clinton's Correct the Record Super PAC. Joseph Noe, take it away. We're going to wrap with this. All right. So this pact can be classified as a hybrid pact? Pack. Pack, pack. yeah. So according to the Center for Responsive Politics, Correct the Record, the name of the pact, can maintain two separate accounts. Okay. One for contributions to federal candidates and parties and the other for independent expenditures to which unlimited contributions can be made. Okay. So what it really means... Well, and what are they do? What is this Correct the Record PAC doing? What is their purpose and how are they helping Hillary Clinton? Okay. So the purpose of the PAC is to create a social awareness through their website and social media platforms to counter claims that are made about Clinton. Right. In so, layman's terms? Uh, they're trolling. Yeah, they go on Twitter and Reddit and are spending millions of dollars correcting people's opinions about Hillary Clinton and things that people say are fake, are false about her. And the funny thing about this is they can have direct 
relations with Clinton because they aren't running any ads per se. Right. So because they're not spending any money. It's an indep- it's an independent uh, expenditure, right? Exactly. And the money that they're spending to have people troll isn't even considered an independent expenditure. Oh, it's not. Considered. It's not. Well, oh, well, how is it classified? That's right. It's. It doesn't need to be. Right. It just doesn't need to be. Cl- it's classified as its own specific thing, right? Because they're not actually running ads. Because super PACs, while they're wink, wink, not coordinating with campaigns, uh, things like Cruz has done where he'll just record hours of campaign video unedited and just put it on the internet by accident and then somehow the super PACs that have nothing to do with him get that and then start making ads based on that. So like that's the type of shit that goes on these guys the off the record pack they don't have to go through any of those hoops they can talk directly to the clinton campaign because they're not technically advertising they're just helping correct the record yes also they've so adorable they have uh, accumulated over five million dollars apparently they have spent 4.5 of it trolling yes that's insane. Well, it's not insane. I mean, it's just interesting. It shows you how the system works, but it's like Bernie doesn't even have a super PAC so to, to have people doing this for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, so, but Hillary is literally taking to the step of going on Twitter or Reddit and being like, no, wrong. Hillary believes and then like really inundating people with information about her and, and trying to, it's kind of a chilling effect on people that, you know, are going to go out there and say things. The truth will set you free. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the, you know, the, the truth you paid for will set you free, I guess. Uh, all right, Joey, very good. Any, any wrap up on that? I, there'd be, it would be awesome if there was some way to create something that takes the spin out of everything. Yeah. It's called education and knowledge. That's it. Like there isn't, but the, but the key is like Jason saying, digging a little deeper. It's like you figure out who's who, where the money goes, who's saying what about, you know, like that's, that's how you undo the spin. That's how you unspin the spin. You fucking have to take the time and do some research. That's as simple as it is because spin is only as good as how deep it goes. So if it's just this esoteric kind of spin and a press release and you know twitter posts and oh hillary did this today and she ate a corn dog so she's down with you like okay but dig a little deeper and that's where the no spin zone that o'reilly's talking about that's where it is it's just a little bit below the surface level the problem is people are reading sound bites for supper like we talked about on whatever episode that was and they don't have time to dig through it and and try to untangle the stuff that is in part what we are trying to do on this podcast and you know we'll do our best at that Nicely said. Thanks, sweetheart. Uh, and thank you, sweetheart, Samsonites, nobodies, for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. We hope uh, that you enjoyed today's episode. Quick announcement. We are now available on Google Play. Uh, you guys can go on there and you can listen to the podcast. I don't know if it's a subscription thing or whatever, but you know, if you're Android and you want to go on there and listen on Google Play, that works. And you let me know how that experience is actually. Cause I'm, you know, I have access to my own podcast wherever I want. Uh, you guys can also go on iTunes. You can follow us on there, rate review, leave a comment. I didn't actually look to see if anybody did. If you did, I appreciate it. I'll check this week. Uh, it was something I meant to do and I didn't, um, soundcloud.com slash mandatory Samson. Listen to this episode and all the other episodes. All our archived episodes are on there. You can leave a comment on the actual episode where we're talking about something. You can comment on it and I'll respond to it. Joey will too. I promise you, Joey will be on there answering comments this week and probably last week as a little bit of a penance. Um, And I I love having conversations with you guys on there. It's great. YouTube.com slash mandatory Samson. You can watch the full episode 
video of this episode uh, all the way back to episode, I think, 47 is when we started doing it. So there's nice. quite a few uh, full episodes up there. You could also watch the show stream live every Thursday at 4 p.m. And uh, you can also check out some clips that are, like, shareable that Evan um, finds in the episodes. And, uh, you know, it's just like little snippets from the podcast that might be a, a good way to whet someone's appetite about this thing. You can also email us, mandatorysamson at gmail.com. As you know, we uh, I respond to all those emails if they're good emails, which... 99% of them are. I'm going to read them on the podcast and discuss them a little bit. Tamir and Colin will uh, get that treatment next week. And maybe you can too. So be in touch with us. Twitter. I'm at man. Sam Joey is Joey from Jersey with a Z. Um, I don't even think we need to say Jersey with a Z. Eh, now let's keep saying it. That's kind of your thing. That is my thing. S- All right. Snapchat. Don't take away my thing. I certainly will not Snapchat. Uh, same usernames. And I'm on Instagram at man. Sam. <sighs> I love you guys. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep telling anyone you want about this podcast and let them get involved. And um, we're going to keep going. We love you guys and we'll talk to you next week.